Um, yeah, like two of her top five songs on YouTube music are written by the main songwriter from Fun, who had essentially a one-hit wonder, who sang that uh, tonight. We are young. Remember that song? It was like the quintessential 2010 song. I, I do. I have some sad memories about that song. I try to forget anything that made me happy in the past. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, let's have a look. Uh, blah, blah, blah. All right. I'm going to have a look at her release songs. I mean... There's so many. She has co-songwriting credits, but like Blank Space and Shake It Off, she wrote with um, like this Swedish songwriting team that wrote Baby One More Time and like a whole bunch of shit for Justin Timberlake and stuff like that. Yeah. So like... So Justin Timberlake's not getting the hate that she gets. No, I'm not, I'm not sending hate her way. What I'm interested in, right, she's a pop singer, mm. right? But there is a level of like mania for this Eras tour that is fascinating to me because having conversation, being a insane Beatles fan, mm. like I would have conversations with other mates who are like big music people. And, you know, you would get drunk and you would have conversations like, we'll never see Beatles, we'll never see Beatlemania ever again. Never see anything like Beatlemania ever again because tastes are so fractured and people can get their art wherever they want whenever they want there won't be like an omnipresent global sensation like that ever again and it's happening right now i feel like, like it's happening right now we're at the weekend we're recording taylor swift is playing three shows in melbourne mm. at the mcg which no one ever gets to do really the people who've played there are madonna michael jackson yeah george michael Paul McCartney, U2. They're the only people. And Ed Sheeran. Yeah. So, like, we're talking big people. Ed Sheeran played it once. U2 played it once. Paul McCartney played it once. She's he actually did, it he did Marvel. He didn't even do MCG. Who? Paul McCartney. Yeah, oh. When we were here. I'm talking about the 1993 tour. He mm. played at uh, MCG. Anyway, don't try and school me on Paul McCartney I think, trivia. I think, ah. I think that the show. It's just amazing, right? It's amazing. Like, it must be a well-thought-out, constructed, costumed like, what a show. You know what I mean? It's not for me. But I saw I saw Instagram posts mm. from a couple of your friends. Mm. I suppose they're my friends now as well. Mm. And they just looked like they were having the best time. And yeah. I can't... I know I've matured somewhat where I was like, well, they're having a good time. And you know what else I love? 25-year-old Damien would have fucking hated them. Yeah. Hated the show. Hated yeah. the fact that it existed. Fuck Taylor Swift, I you know. I am a fan. Uh, yeah. I'm a fan of anything. I'm more excited about the new Idols album that's I, dropped today. I, but anyway. uh, I am a fan of anything that is um, bringing together people who you wouldn't normally see together for moments like this. So, I saw an, inst- I saw an Instagram filled with fathers taking their daughters to a concert and the dads were dressed up with the daughters. Lame. Where, That's lame. Where the fuck do you <laughs> see that? Like, for so long... It's oh, great. Anytime parents spend time with their kids, it's an upgrade from But it's what not we just got, that. Right? It's not spend time with your kids. It's Would your dad have ever taken you to a concert and gotten dressed up? No. 
right? <laughs> no. And this is the thing. No, mums have always not. been mums have always been like in charge of this stuff, right? But this is a moment where I can see and it's it's shit to even think it and say it, but it's really nice to see fucking fathers getting involved with their a kids slash daughters lives mm. and being a part of something. My brother, who's a stay-at-home dad, um, not by choice, he has said like he takes care of like he drops the kids off at school, does everything, does the parties, all that sort of stuff. Mm. And like he has said to me on the weekends when he goes to the parties and he takes the kids, he's like, it's still the fucking mothers taking the kids to birthday parties. He's like, where are the dads? You know what I mean? He's like, I've, he goes, there's some dads I've never met. Some dads I've met once. He's like, where are they? And um, the mum's like, oh, you know, they're watching the footy. They're watching the footy, watching the game. Listen, they're out with the boys. Uh, uh, listen, little lady, let me just explain some facts of life to you, okay? I'm the one who brings the fucking money in, all right? Not really. So when I get to the weekend, all right, all I want is just a couple of fucking <laughs> hours to be able to sit down on the couch that I paid for. In and watch, silence. And watch the fucking blue, bla- blue baggers completely miserable on my own in silence, okay? Yeah, that's why I had a family. That's, I want... I want no one here so people don't get to see me <gasps> scream at the television like a crazy? psycho. <laughs> and, and but that's but that's what and Matt was like he's like and he asked me this question, Matt was like, Don't dads want to spend time with their kids? No. He goes, When I the was answer working is no. <laughs> Matt goes, When I was working full time, um just yeah, so long story short, my brother had a pretty severe work accident and he's unable to work now. Um but he goes, when I was working full time, his weekends were filled with children's birthday parties and doing stuff with his kids because he fucking missed them during the week. And he's like, yeah, I want to do stuff. Like, let's go, you know, we'll go play golf. We'll go do this. We'll go go to time zone. Like, he fucking loved it. And he's mm. like, I just don't. And he's like, I don't understand these dads. And it was just really nice seeing a bunch of dads. And sure, some of them may only show up one time a year. But I hope that this is a... Um, I really hope that the Taylor Swift kind of energy is a of things to come, that guys are more – because, you know, it was always like, oh, you don't spend time with your daughter, it's gay. Like I saw masculine men wearing pink sunglasses and like necklaces and like just dressing up for it with their kids mm. and stuff and I thought that was really sweet. You know what I mean? It's fucking sweet. It's just nice. Yeah. Be yeah. involved, you know what I mean. If if my if my niece Charlotte was going to a concert with her mum and dad, like she loves ACDC. If she went to ACDC with her parents, she would be dressed up like ACDC. Like yeah, Charlotte I mean? also sounds like Dave Hughes. <laughs> so it's I'm not. I'm so excited to be here. Oh yeah, if I can put you some Akadakar on, man. It's just, you know I just thought it was really nice. I think like a crossover from, was sweet. To yeah, see. and also like. Um, yeah, like my first instinct is to be a complete snob about it because I've been a music Nazi my whole life. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the benefits far outweigh the um, the costs. And like you know, this is how kids get into music as well. Mm. And I think that's important. Like, to three hundred thousand Melburnians have gone to a fucking gig this weekend. Yeah. Yes, it's the biggest gig on earth, but at least it's a live music gig, dude. And hopefully that like trans 
you know, maybe that parlays into people going like, because I'm seeing responses of like, oh my God, I'm having such a good time at this music yes, show. Like, yes, well, you know, yes. they fucking happen all the time, man. Like, yes. Melbourne is the music capital of the country. You could go watch some, I don't know, Australian artists and see what yeah. you think of them. And um, <laughs> across across the road at probably like Rod Laver. I think it was Rod Laver, was um, Max Schwox 20. Oh, Rob Thomas, tough weekend to I be in town. I want to push you around. Yeah, but you know Max Schwox 20 would have been packed. I, I, I don't think we spoke about this. Or maybe we did speak about it briefly on the Barbie episode. I really want to give the guys in Matchbox 20 props mm. for releasing that song for the film. Yeah. They write their own stuff, Matchbox 20, so they would have had to have had some say whether that went in the film or not. It's and sweet. Um, yeah, the, like for them to have enough uh, self-awareness of like, oh, yeah, this song it could absolutely be construed as like a as an incel anthem <laughs> um, is good work on their part. And a tough, tough weekend to come into Melbourne, uh, literally across the road from Taylor Swift. <laughs> Tell you one thing about Taylor Swift, though. It's literally at a her. footbridge from the MCG to the tennis centre. Could you imagine here? trying just, to get out of there? Oh, God, awful. It'd be pretty easy to get out of the tennis centre, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the MCG at the same time, you're like, oh, I don't know. Uh, I just want to say I'm looking at um, a, a list, a plethora of so many songs that Taylor Swift has done. Mm. And she, whether... Oh, that was Jesus a nice burp. Christ, oh, that's so good. Whether she wrote the song on her own. <laughs> whether she wrote Pizza it, the heart. <laughs> whether she wrote it on her own or wrote it with one other person or two other people, at least like she's got her hand in it, I'm you know, interested. as opposed to other people. I'm just interested. Yeah. I love Robbie Williams. He doesn't fucking write his songs either. Like he writes with other people. I'm not. Tell it's you what, not interesting Tom to Jones see. never wrote a song. Elvis Presley never really wrote a song. It doesn't. It doesn't necessarily detract from you as an artist, um, and obviously, like she has a huge connect- connection, especially with mm. young women. That's great. That's good. I was just interested <laughs> to see who, and I thought it was interesting that like she's worked with different like songwriting. Yeah, she's teams, really eclectic, you know? and it shows. But it shows in her albums because she's always like. Because um, someone like Miley evolving. Cyrus keeps going back to Mark Ronson. Yeah, like she'll go away for a bit and then she'll come back and do something with yeah. Ronson again. Like. Um, Dude, Miley and Ty- Taylor, I really, both of them, I think, you know, I, I, I really, if it means that people are going to gigs, you know what I mean? Like what you're saying? I like both. And also Beyonce, between Miley, Beyonce and Taylor Swift, the biggest fucking, mm. you know, musos in the mo- at the moment are women. Yeah. And like I got into music listening to AM uh, 3KZ is what my mum used to listen to in the kitchen growing up. And so I heard Lionel Richie and Madonna and Michael Jackson mm. and like Cindy Lauper. I loved Cindy Lauper. Uh, Tina Turner. I was my mum used to tease me about the whole fucking cast list of uh, last episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are well, because they were all on the radio. My mum used to tease me about being in love with Tina Turner. I would get so mad. I'm like, I don't. Mum would be like, Tina Turner's your girlfriend. I'd be like, I don't love Tina Turner. But She's I think I kind of did a little bit. Hey. Yeah, well, hey, young hey. Damien, why are you being nah, so racist your for? Racist. That's no, cool. I. Yeah, anyway, she's um, not a Fistuka. What um, have you been? <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid to ask this question every week now. What have you been watching? Uh, I've been rewatching Doctor Who. David oh. Tennant. Yeah, okay. it's, good. it's good. I thought you were going to say Murder on the Mountain Four. 
Um, that's um, it's good. It's funny because I remember Seal saying to me because I think Celia is probably the biggest Doctor Who fan I know, and she got me into it. And um, she never cause she got a massive crush on David Tennant, and she the first season with him with Martha. It's she, the most Celia. That's the most serious yeah, thing I know. for her to so be in, <laughs> yeah, to be in love with this like nerdy yeah, Scotsman. I know. Um, but Martha is his companion, and the whole thing about Martha is that she's in love with him. Paul McCartney's English sheepdog, Martha. No, people aren't going to understand that reference. Paul, Mc- there's a song called "Martha, My Dear" on the White Album, one of the most successful rock albums of all time, and it's Paul writing a song about his dog. Martha. And we always said, if we get a second dog, we're getting a little girl, and we're going to call her Martha. Well, people don't know about that. That's less well known yeah, as the fact I that Paul that wrote song. a song Martha, for his dog. Martha, my dear, it's really good. Anyway, so she always said that Martha, she hated that season because it was the only season where the companion was in love with the Doctor. And it puts like a weird spin on it, and then jealous. Oh, uh, it's just the, the the point about Doctor Who is that he's androgynous, and so when you put this like love triangle in, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. The Doctor has been going on for decades. Permission to it speak doesn't work. Yes. Permission to speak as an old Doctor Who fan. Yes. It has there has been like sexual tension in the past, like Tom Baker. And one of his, I can't remember which. But it's um, shit. We don't want that. We're not here just for it. Le- uh, can I finish? No. Can I? Fi- I'm. I'm gonna let you finish. I'm gonna let you finish. Uh, but yeah, Tom Baker, listen to me. <laughs> Tom Baker had. <laughs> Tom Baker had a companion. I can't remember her name, but there was a, like, will they, won't they? And then they ended up the actors married in real life. So there was this sort of like sexual, but the fans kind of liked it but also didn't like yeah. it at the same time it was split it split the fan base I just want to say Tom Baker was the best of Doctor Who of all time I'm going to let you finish I'm going to let you finish but Tom <laughs> Baker was the best Doctor Who of all time No so Tenet anyway so Seals always said it to me she was Imagine like if oh Kanye got up and said that God, he, <laughs> started talking he about is, Doctor Who Whatever he's doing to his Australian wife is abuse What Australian wife She's Australian. when did this happen that chick he's dating, who so never wears clothes. She went. She was from Melbourne, so people I used to work with at my last job went to school with her. She went to. I think she went to Kerry. Um. Anyway, so. Oh man. She's she's naked in every photo. It's like there's one photo where he puts a see-through raincoat on her, and I'm I'm like, no, this is, you can't just go out naked. Oh, yeah, you can't leave to, the house naked. This is weird. Anyway, on socials again. Anyway, you, what was I saying before Kanye? Doctor Who, David Tennant, Celia okay. didn't like that season. Yeah, because of that. And then I watched it and I messaged her. I was like, I actually kind of agree because I actually kind mm-hmm. of agreed because there was this kind of like her like, he never notices me and blah, 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 that pining. And there was a few episodes where they don't deal with that at all, like the one, um, like the angels and stuff. Where the episodes... Because even Seals made a good point where she was like, I feel bad for the actress because it wasn't the best companion, you know, like right. to be pining. But the <clears> episodes <throat> that they do where she's not doing that, they're fantastic and she's great. Um, and then so after season one, she ends up staying on Earth because she's like, yeah, I don't want to be a companion because, you know what I mean? Like I- I'm not going to pine over you. Right. And then ages later, once he gets to Catherine Tate, they see her again and she's – Engaged and stuff, but um, no, it's really good. Oh, well, she's moved on, so that's good. Yeah. Um, what are you watching? I haven't watched 
anything this week uh, except I watched the first half of uh, Aquaman, The Lost City The lost fucking audience of a film. The Lost. (laughs) Got him. Got him. Whatever. Aquaman 2. Um, I... If if DC or Marvel put something out, and I've just resigned myself to this fact now, I will watch it. Maybe not straight away. Maybe not today. But someday I will. Maybe and, not tomorrow. But someday. Um, and I watched the first sort of 20, 25 minutes of this last night. I will go back and watch the rest of it. But, oh boy, uh, the first 20 minutes are insane. I completely forgot that Aquaman and his wife have a baby in the first film. And so, like, in the first 20 minutes of this, uh, Aquaman finds out that, like, uh, his son also has fish-talking powers. <laughs> uh, and so, Aquaman's just but boring, though. Se- I, yeah, I mean, they even talk about... The intro is like, I'm Stephen Curry, also known as Aquaman. And, like, there's this battle scene where he's, like, beating up a bunch of pirates... Uh, like, you know, modern-day pirates, and then he's explaining to the audience. Like, Aquaman's so boring, and the films did so poorly that the first five minutes is dedicated to, like, remember me? I'm the cool Aquaman guy. All right, yeah. It's just... But then there's this scene to show, like, how happy he is. Like, it's like he's married, and he's got a baby, changes the baby, the baby pees in his face, and blah, Mm. blah, so cute. But then, like, he's hanging out with his dad, like, his dad and his baby. And there's this... <laughs> born. Put it this way. In the opening montage to show Aquaman's life, they play Born to be Wild. The needle drop is Born to be Wild, right? Like, just the most lazy... It's like, get it? He's the cool superhero. He's, like, the cool... Yeah, we don't have to pay for this song. It's been out long enough. Yeah, exactly. Copyright. But also, like... This is the uncoolest fucking song. Like, it's the uncoolest needle drop. That song's like fucking 70 years old. It's like, and then there's a scene where, like, he's literally doing, like, fucking doughies on a Harley Davidson around his dad, who's holding his son, to show, like, yeah, he's a dad, but he's still a wild man. It sounds like, awful. Because they had to give Aquaman, like, some sort of character trait, right? Like, and so they've gone with, like, well, you know, we'll make him, like, a surfer dude kind of guy. And that's what Jason Momoa does, where he's kind of like, whoa, yeah, right. But it just, like, I'm kind of excited to see how shit the rest of the film is. It's a film where I'll, like, I will write a script or write more of my book while it's on. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I will keep work. I'll work while it's on in the background. Mm. But I'm intrigued to see. It's got a Rotten Tomato score of 31%. And I really mm. want to see how. Because so far, I'm like, this is terribly shot. The CGI looks awful. I mean, people talked about Why? the CGI looking bad in the flash. This looks worse. And what I'm really intrigued to go and see, and I might even go and see it in the cinema really to punish myself is Madam Web. Yeah. Do you know about Madam she, Web? Yeah, no, oh, I know. Oh, man, the reviews for this film. She's even saying, meh, the Dakota Johnson. Whoa. It's, I haven't seen, the, it might be the film that kills superhero films. You Good. know what I mean? Like it might. I'm sick of this shit. 
I don't know at what point like they have to see. It's interesting because this week the Deadpool and Wolverine trailer dropped, and there's been a lot of heat for that. Like people seem super excited about it, so that will keep Marvel ticking along because mm. people will go see that film and it'll do really really well, and so Marvel mm. will go, yeah, we're making money. But it does feel like there is a. Uh, even just amongst my friends who were really into it when all these superhero films started, I can't get anyone to come watch these films with me mm. anymore. So um, the critical response is terrible. People aren't going. It's costing these studios hundreds of millions of dollars to make these films. I just wonder what the breaking point is. But DC have just completely, like they've got James Gunn on board to completely reboot their movie universe. Well, that's good. Um, well, yeah. I feel like he does a lot of good stuff. He does good, like Peacemaker. I haven't watched Peacemaker, but uh, all my mates really loved it and it got good reviews and stuff. So, But anyway, yeah, first half of Aquaman is all I've done this week, unfortunately, guys. But um, I'll let you know how the second half is next week. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So. Well, that's I've been, I've been reading a lot. I mean, if we can talk about books and stuff, I can... The podcast is, should we just watch it real quick? Yeah, I know. I'm reading June. Good. Um, and surprise, surprise, really good book. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the movie we watched. Do you want to talk about um, last one, Laughing First, or you want sure. to talk about The Iron Claw first? Oh, I just, rec- I just said we should talk about the movie first, but if you want to talk about the TV first, it's fine. What okay, well, we'll talk about The Iron Claw first. Okay. all right. Um, I'm intrigued. I've watched. I watched this with you during the week. It was the second time I watched. It. I watched it in the cinema, and then we rented it this week. Um, yeah, I've had a lot of um, people go loved it, loved it, and a lot of people go meh, meh. Um, and I don't know if the people going meh is because it's like they're such big wrestling fans that they're like, you know, they said that uh, this happened when he was 24, but it really happened uh, the day after his 25th birthday. So. You know, like that sycophantic fucking bullshit. And if that's the case, I don't know. But in terms of uh, a film, it's a great film. Yeah. It's a really well-made film. It's a great film. The story is so sad. I thought it was really good. Yeah. I thought I was into it. I was so into it. I wonder, though, if I had seen it without you because there was a few moments that things happened and I turned to you and went, did that really happen? Because I feel like maybe... Um, there wasn't enough, enough explanation for certain things and then I turned to you going, that really happened? And you are like, yeah, that really happened. And I feel like they um, kind of made this film with the assumption that people already knew the story and I purposely didn't want to know the story before I watched it. Hmm. Like stuff about like, you know, the motorcycle accident and the, the first brother who passed away, like that kind of stuff. It was – I felt like they rushed over that – well, I guess there's so many deaths – that you just got to rush over a few of them, you know? Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was predisposed to be into this film because uh, I love professional wrestling. And it, uh, much like The Wrestler, uh, it was a filmmaker who was like, I'm going to make a proper film about pro wrestling. And I was like, you know, as soon as I saw The Iron Claw, as soon as I saw the trailer and it was called The Iron Claw, I'm like... Okay, well, yeah, if you're going to make a story about any family in wrestling, the Von Erichs makes sense because it's sad. <laughs> it's a sad mm. story. Um, 
and having watched it, it's really interesting. I enjoyed it even more the second time. Um, but yeah, I was interested to see how you reacted to it because, you know, mm. I am the absolute demographic for this film. I thought yeah. it was really good. I, I thought, I thought. I mean, Zac Efron is like the new Brad Pitt of our time. I've said it before. I feel like he is so handsome that people probably don't understand that he's really good. Um, you know what I mean? And it wasn't until Brad Pitt did like Once Upon a Time and stuff that people were like, oh, he's fucking great. Zach Efron's awesome in it. He's too buff. He's just the, the the he's. It is unnecessary to be that buff. They yes, look, you're. They, yeah, yes, you're a wrestler. Yes, blah blah blah. But even the real guy in real life wasn't like, like that. No, they. Dude, they, they, he didn't have a neck. It's too much steroid use. Too much. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. But um, but yeah, he was excellent in it. Um, I feel like there's a lot of um, stuff for um, for um, our little Gene Wilder lookalike. There's a lot of like, oh, this guy. And yes, he's like the best in the bear. Uh, I don't feel like – I feel like he – yeah, he was fine in this one. But this film is really about Zac Efron's character. Yeah, well, I mean, he plays uh – he plays David Von Erich and uh, this, it's David's story because, uh, as we always say on this podcast, um, I forgot to do the intro. Oh, well. Um, oh, do it now. This is, should we just watch it real quick? The only podcast that forgets to do its intro until about 30 minutes into the podcast and then stops mid-sentence to do it. I am one of your hosts, Dr. Damien Gibson. I didn't go to seven years of... The Bret Hart's dungeon uh, to be called Mr. Thank you very much. And in the blue corner is the Raging Cajun. It's the woman who says, Big Whoop, want to fight about it, Kelly for Stuka. That's me. Uh, so as I was saying, yes, David Von Erich is the main character because it's his story because as we always say on this podcast, uh, all spoilers, no facts, everybody else dies. Yeah. <laughs> so the story can only really be told uh, from David's point of view, but it is, it does match up with, uh, from what I know. And th- this is the other interesting thing as well. I'm not an expert in the Von Eric family. They were wrestlers in uh, territories that were, this all sort of happened before I was old enough to start watching wrestling. It all sort of happened early eighties. Um, I know that they exist and I know that they're a big family and stuff. A lot of people online around my age who are all instantly fucking Von Eric, you know, mm. experts. It's mm. like, oh, shut the fuck up, man. You've watched like, you know, a couple of WWE pay-per-views. But anyway, um, the film itself is beautifully shot. Mm. I think it's directed excellently. Mm. I think Zac Efron is the best actor in a cast where a lot of people are doing a lot of great work. Yeah, um, everyone really is doing a great job. Yeah, no one, everyone's fantastic. I, everyone in this movie does an incredible job. And I think I was saying to you, I have a massive um, hard on for Holt McClan. I can't Holt McClanley. Who plays the dad? Who plays the dad? McClanley. Yeah, because yeah. he also plays the one of the um, policemen in – and when you when you tune your eye to him, he's in everything. Like he's a real big character actor. Like, yeah, working character actor. Yeah. yeah, really like in his 60s but like in amazing oh, – sorry, Jimmy is sleeping next to me and he's snoring so loudly that he's so distracting. You can't, um, you can't hear it. I know, through. but it's so funny. Like I just see a <laughs> – 
<laughs> and then I got this like little girl on the floor, like, Gah. yeah, puppy um, alert. Jamie's still here, but she's gone up for adoption today yeah, online. So, they do it, yeah, yeah anyway. hopefully, we'll find her a new home soon. But yeah, he's in uh, Mine Hunters, um, and he's like, you know, he's like got a little bit part in Batman, a little bit part here. Like, he's just constantly, and he's one of those people that because I was really excited for him when I saw him in this role because a lot of people were like, oh, he's going to get nominated for an Oscar. Hmm. And he should have for best supporting role, I feel like, because this is like not a lot of guys could have done. There's an intensity for this father character, whereas a lot of people would have acted it of him like yelling yeah, and being like top, over yeah. the top. But he has a really cool, like he delivers some really like cool lines in terms of when I say cool, like no love. Cold. Cold, yeah. yeah really cold and yeah, awful uh, yeah, disconnecting. Uh, I think he's really good. I think he deserves more as an actor. I think he's really the good. The story of this... So, like, if you're not into pro wrestling, it doesn't matter. It's an interesting yeah. story and it's re- it's a really well-made film. A24, who are the production company behind this, are making probably the most interesting films in America at the moment. Mm. And this is one of them. Um, and... Uh, the quality, I would say the quality of the craft of this film is so good that yeah. I, I didn't pick up on a lot of it the first time I watched it. I'm so glad I watched it again hmm. this week. The acting is fantastic. It's cast well. You know, I've seen some criticisms of like uh, the actors are more erudite than the wrestlers were in real life. And like, well, of course they are. It's a film. You know, you can't have the actors portraying the wrestlers as a bit monosyllabic and stuff like they 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 need to be able to compel people to watch the screen Hmm. um what i find really interesting so just if you don't know the story it's about four brothers who were wrestlers uh and three of them die in tragic circumstances and it's kind of a redemption story of david the uh well the eldest for Hmm. want of a better story um coming to terms with what it means to be a man and uh, moving on and away from the toxicity of his, like, obsessed father uh, who's obsessed with success and all mm. this kind of stuff. Um, what I found really interesting from, like, a filmmaker standpoint is how uh, sort of tactfully they deal with the deaths of the brothers. Mm. You don't see – two of them – two of the brothers kill themselves. Mm. Um, you don't see – them die even uh, when jeremy allen wyatt who plays kerry von eric who's probably the most famous of the von eric brothers he ended up in wwf as the texas tornado um he had a really bad uh, motorbike accident in real life where he loses his foot you don't see that mm. what they do i love this actually you see him speeding down a highway at like a mm. hundred miles an hour, and it's very old filmic techniques of yeah. like they essentially you can just see like it feels like a, uh, a like a um like a nineteen fifties uh, film like a Marlon Brando or James Dean film like a rebel on his motorbike you mm. know and you just see all black and then the light on the highway and just the lines speeding past him and then it goes black you see him wake up in bed he's on crutches so it's like oh okay well he's had an accident and then f- there's this mid shot of the kitchen and jeremy allen white uh walks into the kitchen and he's had one of his foot feet amputated mm. and like the shock comes from 
not expecting to see that foot. And that's gone, when I right? turned to you and went, "Did that really happen?" And you're like, "Yeah, yeah." And and I get why they did it because that's a good shock. But I guess, yeah, if I if I didn't have you there, I would have been like, "What?" This but the is more crazy. obvious thing would be like smash cut to him like being on a gurney, being pushed into an emergency room with like Zaka from by side and. Being like, you're going to be okay, little brother. And then a doctor coming in like, we're going to have to take your foot. And everybody cries. I, and I, I think I, that would be boring. That would be boring no, and shit. Correct. Like, they the could have wo- done it with a small thing like him going. Like it could have been just him riding and then maybe you hear like a screech and then a kuklunk. And that's it. And then cut to him getting up or... It could have just been one small, like, shot of him in the hospital, like, opening up his eyes and seeing no, no foot and then closing his eyes again no. and then the next. No, no. I like I that. It, I like. I didn't know what was happening. But they tell you after the fact. So, if you've missed it, if you haven't put, just let me finish, Bob. Come on. If you haven't joined the dots between that scene, like the motorbike scene and the fact that he's lost his foot, they say it later on in the film. You've just got to be a bit patient, you know. They don't spoon feed everything to you. And that's, I, as an audience member, I appreciate it when the filmmaker, uh, you know, gives me the benefit of the doubt that I'm going to be able to pick this up. I think I get bored of most of the things that we watch for this podcast because it's so fucking spoon-fed and I'm just sitting. I feel like when I used to wait for people in class when we would all read from the same book, you know, and I would read my passage and then I'd go to the next person, they'd be like, oh, cat, sir. That's what it feels like to watch most TV and films these days. It's like, fuck, I know, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I just kind of feel like... When it's like, oh, be patient and they'll tell you later, I'm stuck in that moment. So I'm watching the film going, what happened? Is that, oh, they need to explain, what, what? And then I'm not focusing, I'm missing other things because it's like I'm stuck on that moment. It's just But he was on his bike and then he woke up on crutches and doesn't have a foot anymore. So wouldn't it be obvious to yeah but draw I just the feel conclusion like that something happened on his motorbike like, where he's lost his foot? Like it just cut his foot off like they didn't try and save it i don't know like it feels um i don't know i just i'm i, I need a little i needed just a little bit more in that scene um, soz yeah but uh the way that they deal with uh mike the youngest brother's suicide even carrie's suicide mm. like you don't see i mean you hear carrie's you don't see mike's at all that's another shot in the film that i love where uh, they find Mike, the young youngest brother's suicide note, and then you see like five or six guys like out in the fields of the Von Erich farm looking, and they just keep this wide shot, and the mics are set up like it feels like the mic setup is from the mic on the camera like a hundred yards away mm. because you can just hear off in the distance as if you were at the farmstead watching this happen. Mm. You hear someone go, Mike. Oh no, Mike! And then they all run towards obviously where mm. a body is, and then that's it again. Like you don't, mm. you don't see him. You don't, and I feel like there's probably an element of like because there were a couple of wrestlers who are executive producers of this film. Uh, MJF, who's a big wrestler in AEW, is one of them. So wrestlers respect other wrestlers. So there probably is an element of like let's not be brutal with the death scenes here. These are real people, you know, and there's family members alive that 
will be watching this, so let's try and be a little mm. bit respectful. But I think in doing that, they've actually made a better film because of it because there is this real gentle, almost kind of ethereal spookiness mm. to the film where it's foreboding through what you don't see. Mm. Like it could have been really brutal, right? Like there's people dying in this film all the time and it could they could have really gone for shock value and and shown you those scenes but i really appreciate it as an audience member that again i don't need to see that because mm. the emotional weight is left to the actors to show you you mm. know like in the aftermath and i agree with you that zach efron is legitimately brilliant in this film yeah i love um, him like he's, outside of the really arrayed him Outside of the body transformations that all of these young guys have done, obviously, um, Efron, like, I remember when watching it at the cinema, I got halfway through the film and was like, oh, like, Zac Efron is completely carrying this, like, really touching indie film (laughs) about pro wrestling. And I didn't, I never really clocked him as that, you know, I saw him as like a teen heartthrob who had, like, gone off to do sort of shitty comedies most of his career, but, um, He's got, he's got, uh, he's got some acting chops, and I thought Jeremy Allen White was really great in this. He he isn't, he's not a huge player in the film, but I think he. I have an opinion that he'll end up being a movie star. Um, he just has a, he just has like elements of Hoffman and Pacino. He just reminds me of that kind of like a young version of those guys. Um, and that intensity comes through in this film as well. So, um. Yeah, I I, lo- I fucking love this movie. Cause, um, it just explained to me uh, with the brothers, the eldest brother, Jack, died when he was like seven years old. Yeah. And then there was Kevin, who is Zac Efron. Right. And then who's next? David. Who is the guy that dies first. The blonde guy, yeah, yeah who okay. dies and- in Japan because he had like a bowel obstruction but wouldn't go to the doctor because he'd yeah. just be... Just be made NWA champion. And then Kerry's next. Or was about to be. Kerry's next. And then... And then Michael, or Mike, is the youngest. And then he's the one who shot himself as well. Or no, took the pills. He took the pills. And, yeah. and then who's Chris? Because I'm looking here on... Unless it's... Yeah, so Chris is... Isn't Chris the eldest one that died when he was... No, that's Jack. Uh his ring name is Chris, and then uh, is Chris Von Erich. I know there's a cousin. There was a cousin that got into wrestling as well. Chris Von Erich, maybe. Uh, smallest and youngest of the Von Erich family, Chris aspired to be a wrestler. He was the youngest son. Uh, his brothers Mike, David, Kerry, Kevin. Um, Mike, David. So Michael, David, Kerry, and Kevin are the four brothers that are in this film. Maybe he didn't want to be in the movie. Because he also, um, he grew up with his brothers, but he was small. He was only 5'5". Five five. Uh, had lots of health problems, asthma. He tried to do wrestling, but he would break bones easy. Um, after the 1987 suicide of his brother Mike, who took the drug overdose, mm-hmm. Chris began to experience depression and drug issues. He was also frustrated by his inability to make headway as a wrestler due to his physical build. And then uh, in 1991, Chris was found by his brother Kevin and mother outside his family farm in 
Edom suffering a self-inflicted gunshot wound. According to Kevin, Chris came into him in the middle of the night wanting back a VCR, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that's what I don't understand. So they didn't talk about him at all. Because when you look at photos, there's the four big boys and there's a smaller boy. So he's obviously a lot younger. Hmm. But they didn't talk about him at all. Like they just don't, didn't have time. I Ke- don't know. Kevin th- had four brothers, David, Kerry, Mike and Chris. Unless Chris is an amalgamation of, uh, what's the one, the one, well, Mike was the musician, yeah? Hmm. I'm confused. I don't know. Maybe uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why they would have left him out, but I, I don't yeah. know. Anyway, la, la, la. Yeah, it's confusing. Anyway, um, I, I'm going to do grumps. Uh, I, I think I'm going to give it four grumps because I thought it was really great. Um, I probably would have given it higher for just a few little nitpicky things, but mm. I thought it was really good. And I feel like the people, if you're someone who like wants to be a, um, a sycophant and be like, actually, which is what I'm doing now, going, who's Chris? Actually, don't just, it's still really, it still really tells us what's up, which is it's a real sad story. The dad really pushed them. It's a real, you know, that toxic masculinity of mm. being a father that's just trying to, obviously trying to like his dreams through his kids, which is fucked. Mm. The How film, the uh, just before I get to that, the film is about the Von Erich family, but really what the director is talking about in this film is maleness and what it means to be a man mm. in 2024. Uh, and... Through Kevin Von Erich, uh, we get to a point of like, well, being a man is someone who's there for his family, can emote, has relationships with his kids, cares about his friends and family, not what his dad is like, which is like he literally has a fucking ranking system for his sons, Mm. you know? Um, And also just like from, from a wrestling nerd point of view, I know most people won't care about this, but I just want to get it on the record. I think they do an amazing job of all the in-ring stuff. The guys would have actually gone to wrestling school to learn how to wrestle. They're they're mainly doing like arm drags and and uh, off the off the rope body drops and stuff like that, which is the first sort of things you learn in wrestling school. But I can't fucking do it. And these guys went and mm. did it. So like, kudos to them for actually learning how to grab in the ring. You know. Mm. Um, and I thought the real life characters that we see, like Harley Race, Ric Flair, I've seen some backlash towards that as well. If you think that this film is portraying those guys uh, unfairly, then you probably need to go and read some old timers biographies. And I think you'll realize pretty quickly that these were pretty spot on um, portrayals of, of who these people were in real life. Um, I'm going to give a five. I would have I actually if we had done it just on the first watching I would have given it four as well but the second one but after watching it the second time it it's made me cry both times I've watched it at the end like when his sons are like we'll be your brother's daddy it's like oh my god um and it's a it's a film that like uh I mean just anything that has wrestling in it uh, and t- takes it somewhat seriously and shows its sort of like um, place in American uh, life. You know, it's a big deal for a lot of people. 
um, and you see that through this film as well. But um, and also the message of like, you know, this you don't have to. This old idea of what it is to be a man is archaic and dumb and ridiculous, and let's move on from it. So, um, I think it's a beautifully made film with an important message uh, that also has pro wrestling in it, which I love. So yeah, five stars, uh, five um, grumps. Why do I keep saying fucking stars? You're a dickhead. Fair. Fair, fair, cruel and fair. Uh, so, second thing that we watched was uh, was lol. Last one laughing, Ireland. Ireland. Well, now the last one laughing series. I watched the Australian one. I haven't watched the Australian one. Oh, and we watched the Canadian. We love the Canadian one. The Canadian one. one. Some of the most fun TV we've ever watched together. Yeah, Colin Mockery, uh, Tom Green. Should we just tell the people what it is Axel. real quick? It's a reality comedy show where essentially ten comedians are put in a room and no one can laugh. If yeah. you laugh or smile, you get eliminated from – it's like a Big Brother house sort of thing but filled with comedians. Yeah. And so they're all competing to make each other laugh, to knock them, knock each other out of the competition. Good premise, fun premise. Sorry, Cal. So the Canadian one was great because you just like – you just look at Colin Mockery's stupid face. Mockery and Tom Green were – Tom Green just look, walking up to someone going – would you like to eat a sandwich? I'm making a sandwich. Sandwich. Would you like a sandwich? It's so funny. And then what's who's your uh, Foley? Dave Foley. Dave Foley's in it. Like really, really good. So and the Australian one I really like too. <laughs> Edo. Um, Edo's really funny in it. You know, like um, anyway. So give this one a whirl. Was there an American one? I can't remember. I don't uh, think anyway. an American one has been made. Is there an English it, one? No. There's Brazil. I keep looking to see if there's Brazil, Germany, Portugal, Turkey. (laughs) It's so funny watching other countries and their representation of like people that go in. Mm. Like in the Australian one, Frank Woodley was in. Right. Straight away. It's like, I'm out. Because he just looks at you like going, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're like, (laughs) fuck off. Um, and it's funny, like looking at the island one, like the only person I know is Jason Byrne because he comes out for festival and Graham Norton is hosting and I wish he was in there because I love Graham Norton. But it's so no, funny just watching. he's good as a host. He's, yeah. he's good as a host. But you, it's just funny watching um, all the, like the Irish, like comedians. I was comedians. amazed that you didn't know Aisling B. Who? I keep saying this to you while we're watching oh, the show. Oh, that's her name, Aisling B. Yeah. No. Nah. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, so you think you're funny, uh, eight out of ten cats. Maybe I've seen her on that show, but she obviously hasn't – is not in my brain enough to like – she wasn't memorable enough because there's people that I rem- – you remember because they're really, really funny. Yeah. There's a subtlety – I would say she's the most famous person in that cast. Okay. Well, all of the people – I feel like it's weird because the subtlety of Irish comedians in this is annoying. Because they're all, all of them act the same. They're all like, oh, yeah, I suppose so, yeah, oh, yeah. And it's like there's no – and I know because the whole the thing is, the whole thing is supposed to be about, you know, trying to make people laugh. And I'm not really laughing a lot because mm. no one's making me laugh. I know this is so judgy but I just cannot move past it. And maybe this has a part to do with it. It's because I people that are funny kind of can look funny like Woodley and – Mockery, hmm. the um, the women, just the women at the moment, all five of them have had so much plastic surgery, there is not a forehead between them, not not an eyebrow raise, not a funny face, not a hoo hoo, not a hee hee, not a ha ha, hmm. 
and it is annoying and I really feel like that affects the show because there's no expression on someone's face when they're telling a story or, you know, it's just boring. They're all so goddamn gorgeous and beautiful, all these women, but clearly like not a forehead moves and it's really sad. I think to be fair, you're getting a little hung up on the foreheads. I think... um, It's just annoying. I don't think it's as funny so far. We've only watched a couple of episodes. I don't think it's as funny as the Canadian one. What What I'm kind of more interested to talk about is this seems to be how comedians now get uh, like discovered by audiences, shows like Taskmaster, Last One Laughing. Mm. I don't know whether that's good or not, because these guys aren't. I mean, the the vast majority of them are stand ups, right? So, like, this isn't probably a fair representation of whether they're funny or not, right? Would you agree with that? Because, like, you. I don't know, man. When I watch the other. Um, episodes of this, uh, not Ireland, but like Australia and Can- Ca- Canada, mm. straight away, funny people make me laugh. Straight away. You're like, oh, I've only watched a few episodes. No. Episode one, go. Make me laugh. The guy with the long hair, whatever his yeah, name is. Yeah, he did is, like a puppet thing. He's made me laugh a few but times. But one guy. Aisling B did a song that was kind of funny. Kind uh, of funny. What? what funny. Last one laughing. Um, there was one comedian who put cereal in a, his pocket of his jeans and then was like... Baked goes, beans. Huh? He put baked beans in his pocket. I thought he put cereal in there and then put milk in there. I did cereal. originally and then he put baked beans in the other yeah. pocket. I okay, think. so yeah. I'll go back to the first bit. So yeah. he was putting cereal in his pocket and then he was trying to get attention off people by going, I'm making cereal in my pocket. I'm making <sighs> cereal. Look, and like people are like, oh, yeah. And then put milk in there. I'm like, is this what you think's funny? To put milk in your pants? Like, do a joke. Be a cat. Anne Edmonds, when she did it, she started doing a character. She just started sitting there doing a character. What was the name? Like, Arnie, fucking Arnie something. <laughs> like, Arnie Tracy. And yeah. she's like, no, nah, no, nah, don't worry about me. I'll just fucking die here. <laughs> no, nah, no, your mum never calls me. And I was howling. See, you're laughing. I'm just telling you the story. I was, Anne Edmonds was so I'm a so pretty good audience funny. when it comes to comedians. She like. was, dude. But and, and the thing is, if I'm in that room, I'm out because, and she's not laughing. She's just doing a, this is here comedy. Is, here is what I think the problem is with the Irish They're too crew. pretty. Listen to me. I think they want, they all want to win. So they're more worried about not laughing at other people's shit rather than trying to make people laugh. Yeah. In the Canadian one, the only person who seemed to care about not laughing was Mae Martin and she was the first one to go. But we did have some similar complaints about the Canadian one at first. Like, who's this person? They're not funny. To be fair, that show, this format, is completely made for Tom Green. Mm. Like, Tom Green is the king. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you've just got to do the most outrageous shit you can Yeah. to make people laugh. Yeah, and it's. I'm enjoying it. It's light and fluffy. The episodes go for 25 minutes. Like, they're still reasonably entertaining. They're not offensive people. I I think there will be more laughs along the way. No one's trying to make people laugh. Like that um, Deirdre chick, right? She's supposed to be like a, you know, uh, like a kind of a Fiona O'Loughlin, like, Mm. you know, she's got kids, she's been around, she's 55. 
Doesn't look 50 out of five. So much Botox. She's not done a joke yet. She, she hasn't has, said anything. She hasn't said anything. She hasn't had a joke yet. And it's just frustrating because I'm like, you guys are supposed to be funny. Yes, they're probably too obsessed with, you know, trying to win. Anyway, I'm not a fan. Um, one and a half grumps, man. That's just <laughs> shit. No I one's think funny. You're being really harsh. No one's funny. You're a very, very harsh judge when it comes to comedy. I, I love Irish comedians. Do a character. Like when the chick got up and sang a song and she goes, oh, I'm going to sing a song. And she was like trying to be, you know, she's being really, really um, heartfelt, <laughs> which is funny. But I was like, that was in the second episode. That was funny because, and she and was, she set it up to us of like, Irish people, a lot like Australians, can't handle sentimentality or authenticity. So I'm going to sing a song and I'm going to sing it properly and it's a heartbreaker. And so she got up and sang this song. One and a half grumps, bro. Uh, good. I think you're being show. real harsh. Uh, I think like... Good that uh, she <laughs> I'll give it... I d- I'm not enjoying it anywhere near as much as I did the Canadian one. I would give the Canadian one five stars. The Canadian I'm giving so good. this two and a half. Yeah. Grumps. Be more funny. Anyway. But what I would say is I like the format and I would like to see more of it Amazon yeah. Prime. Yeah. This must be the yeah. cheapest fucking show you make. It takes a day. They do it, six hours yeah, in there. Right? It takes a day. It's a day like shooting. This. You've got to pay the comedians and then that's it. Mm. Do another Canadian one. Mm. You know what I mean? Like get other kids in the hall guys in mm. there. Like Graham and Dave from Stop Podcast. You said, there's plenty of fucking uh, John Dore. They're a very funny Canadian guys. An American one. An English one. I feel you know? like. Maybe um, they worry about going up against things like Taskmaster and stuff. But like fuck man. If that was on. If there were like 20 seasons of that on Amazon Prime. I would watch nothing else. I would just have it on the background. You know. Watching funny people. Be funny, you know? Like, we need more of that. Please, comedy is cheap to make. Please make more of it. We don't need more adaptations of Jack Reacher or Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Or I like Jack Reacher. Sure. No, but I'm just saying, like, you know, you've got, like, Amazon Prime literally has 15 of those shows of, like, action shows that cost hundreds of millions of dollars to make. Make make a fucking day-long shoot see. comedy, you know? Just trying to see if there was an American one um, and who was in it. But it's, as as always, it's like just an enormous... Oh, no, there was an American one because it was, it was hosted by the guy who is in some of the Judd Apatow films. Or was that... No, that's the Canadian one. He hosted that. Jay Bershanel or whatever. Yeah. He hosted the Canadian one. Uh, was it? Yeah. Remember? Okay. Yeah, right, okay. Oh, I'm just trying to see. Why would you not do an American one? Okay, let's not have a podcast where we're just reading Wikipedia. It's oh, so dumb. We're not Will Anderson. Anyway. Uh, anyway, so. <laughs> Don't uh, understand the reference, but I respect that's it. That's all he does on these podcasts. Uh, anyway, so we thank you for listening. Uh, listening figures go up. Ratings go up. You guys keep telling your friends. We love you very much. Keep doing that. Yay. Keep doing that. Um, <sighs> I was just trying a different. I was just trying that line in with different read. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Keep, keep doing, doing that. that. Um, thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Share. Tell your friends. If anyone wants to adopt a dog, contact me. 
We're also going to, we had a conversation yesterday. We're also going to really, really start to try on social media as well. We're both shit at it. Uh, so we will start trying to do. I mean, we can do video if you want, but we're just two schleps nah, sitting in our living room. People don't want that. I don't know. I feel like that's how people get traction doing video. Yeah, the, yes, we should probably do it, but I don't know if the audience really wants that it's much. It's just me anyway, moving my head away from the mic, that's trying a to pain burp in the, the ether. Do you know how hard it is for us to do this? Anyway, <laughs> trying to burp, and the burp's not coming out. All right, I love you. I love you too.